Hello, lovelies, and welcome to another edition of LGBT in the Ring, your rainbow bastion for all things pro wrestling. I am your host, Brian Bell, here with you once again on the Outsports Podcast Network, and we're a little late this week, but that's okay because we have a big guest coming on the show uh, today. We have the director of the new LGBTQ pro wrestling documentary out in the ring, Rye Levy, coming back onto the show. Um, Rye is a past guest. We had him on back in November of 2020, whenever the initial trailer for the film dropped. Um, and that was a very um, fun, interesting discussion uh, to have as this odyssey of development and production uh, over the past four plus years now for, for Rye to put this film together is now coming to fruition. The film is set to premiere June 3rd at Toronto Inside Out Film Festival up in uh, in Rise native uh, country there. Um, yeah, it's it's been a long journey for this film, um, a long journey for Rye personally, and I'm just happy that we had the chance to sit down and chat with him again as he's getting prepped to show the world what he's been working on for the past few years. Um, and, and, you know, I will say it's been nice to have a chance to get to know Rye over the course of that time as well and, and you know, become... Friend, friendly with him, and stay in communication as this project has continued to uh, to grow and develop into what um, I will say. You know, I, I having seen a preview of the film myself, like I feel like this is a, a monumental piece of art, uh, personally. But we'll talk more about that whenever I sit down with Rye, which is right now. So let's jump to that conversation <laughs> with Rye Levy. What's up, guys, gals, and non-binary pals? Welcome back to LGBT in the Ring, and it is my immense pleasure to welcome back uh, the director of Out in the Ring, a documentary chronicling the history of LGBTQ identities in the pro wrestling industry, and also someone that I can just simply call a friend, Rye Levy. Welcome back to LGBT in the Ring. How are you doing? I'm good, buddy. How you doing? I am doing well. I am doing great. I am so excited to talk to you again about this film on this show because last time you were on, it's been like a year and a half since you've been on the podcast, and there was still so much you were working on with the film, and now we're talking after the film has announced that it has a premiere date. Yeah, it's 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 here. I got to tell you, I mean, it's uh, it's been a long process and uh, a crazy five years, um, definitely delayed uh, for uh, many reasons. I don't know if you heard there was a global pandemic. I might have heard inklings. And uh, and um, this thing called speaking out kind of kicked into gear a little bit early, you know, around the same time. So uh, I got kind of kicked in the nads there a little bit as, as a from a production standpoint uh but we've made it through and i think ultimately the delay has turned it into a better film how so well when i started shooting if you think in 2017 i was hard pressed to find eight wrestlers that were out i mean it was pretty much uh sergeant dixon who i'd run into uh steve blair who i just kind of knew casually through sergeant dixon had retired at that point 
Uh, I knew about Pat Patterson. Uh, I I was aware, uh, and then I discovered Charlie Morgan, Mike Perro, and Effie, and that was pretty much it. Uh, at that point, to my knowledge, um, a couple of additional indies, uh, you know, Simon Sermon I was aware of, but didn't know where Simon was at that point. So, you know, cut to 2022, 2021, 2022, and we've got, you know, you, you're writing a list of 200 of the top LGBTQIA plus wrestlers. And uh, we all know that there's at least another 200 more out there that we could add to that list now. Uh, every week, it seems somebody else is uh, joining the Alphabet Mafia in wrestling. That is very true. There, there's no shortage of people who are feeling empowered, whether it be by the community growing larger or, or seeing other people's like, getting these like wide swaths of, of messages of acceptance or, or pride or encouragement and just feeling the ability that they can actually like live them their true selves outwardly in that way. No, it's quite wonderful. I mean, it's uh, allowed me to bring in some stories that I wouldn't have had the opportunity to add. People like Dark Sheik, Danny Jordan, and of course, and you know, when so many people have exploded, I mean, especially Sheik and Danny and Poyo Del Mar uh, has, you know, Paul, also known as Paul Pratt. All of these individuals are just riding a wave of incredible success. Uh, so many of them, and it's it's wonderful to see. No, I'm I'm right there with you. Like it's it's interesting watching the film now because like I I I watched the film prior to our uh, our sitting down and chatting here, and it's so interesting to look at the people where at the at the places that they are at when the interviews were filmed and that sort of thing, and to see that explosion now, and to see where certain people are now, because like I'll be real, like you introduced me to polio um and that and that sent me down a, a rabbit hole of like wanting to find out more until eventually you know i met polio and you know now we're we're friends as well like and but it's interesting to see like where polio just for the, just to take one example where polio was at the beginning of filming back in 2017 um and you know, running the charity show, charity wrestling shows in, in San Francisco and, you know, being very interested in the drag community there to now where she is in a lot of people's minds, a face of GCW, which is just a wild journey. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's incredible to watch and I love Poyo and, you know, also known as Paul Pratt, you know, cause I mean, there's two personalities here. I mean, you think of Poyo, she as an on-screen character with GCW, with even with NWA and a number of other promotions as a manager for Dark Chic and just, you know, amazing, you know, uh, you know, workers there. And then as Paul Pratt to be with Wrestling Inc. and doing these amazing, you know, this amazing work. I mean, it's it's who nobody I don't think I know for sure that Poyo. Uh, could not have imagined that. And she's, you know, you know, at a different space. And then, you know, on, you know, obviously on, you know, wrestling to see wrestling Inc embrace. And I, you know, I mean, in terms of wrestling voices and knowledge, like overall knowledge of the current journalistic space of pro wrestling, even outside of the, the larger LGBTQIA plus space of pro wrestling, 
I would say Paul Pratt is probably in the top 10% of wrestling pundits in terms of awareness of the history of territories and character development. And I think also a lot of that comes out of being uh, in, in a, a former journalist and also being, I think, being a drag performer who's had to create a character uh, understands all of these elements. And it's so wonderful to kind of see, you know, you know, we talk about it in my film that comparison between ball and drag and wrestling. Um, they do really, they do really, they really are in a way almost interchangeable. Oh, for sure. I mean, those arguments have been made almost to the point that, like, the argument doesn't – honestly, the argument doesn't need to be made anymore. Like, those things just are – like, those things just are connected in that way. And the film itself does do a, a very good job, both visually and through the interviews, of connecting those things as well. I think we can finally put that that discussion topic to rest <laughs> in some ways. Like, it just, it just very much is that. Well, what's interesting is – uh, you know, on the on the past this past season of you know RuPaul's Drag Race, I mean, Diabetti in even in one of the topics talked about her love of pro wrestling, and and it came up as a topic in one of the you know in their like mensuses thing or whatever they were calling the stupid thing. Um, but it was great to hear you know somebody like Michelle Visage say you know wrestling and drag absolutely, and you know, and I also talked to you know my my. Dear friend RJ City, who I adore in so many ways, and uh, referring, you know, we were talking, and he said that wrestling documentary, you know, Paris is burning because uh, <laughs> they might as well. I mean, Paris is burning is, you know, and that's why Paris is bumping exists with Billy Dixon, right? I mean, again, you know, all of these intersections, it's not lost on those in the know, but now is an opportunity to take this outside of. Uh, the space and share it with a broader audience. I mean, we we've known for sure in wrestling and within obviously within our community, our you know um, that you know these connections have been there and are there and are very obvious to us. But now the greater world has an opportunity to kind of expand and understand it. Mm. It's very, very true. And I think that a lot about this film does speak to that broader audience as well. Like it's, it, it is very much like if you were into pro wrestling, like this is very engrossing in terms of the history of it. There's so much uh, and so many people that are discussed here that don't normally get that focus. Um, when it comes to the historic nature of LGBTQ identities in pro wrestling, like obviously the de facto for anybody is Pat Patterson. Uh, for sure, but there's so much more beyond just Pat that is almost feels like it can be lost to time a bit in a way that this film really refocuses on. Obviously, like you know, when we previously spoke about the film, like Susan Green was a major topic uh, and, and person for for this film for you to be able to connect that period um, to like the modern day in a way, or just have a, a voice that's still able to tell those. Uh, first person account or, or willing or willing to or yes, willing to willing, tell, to. The, willing yeah. to tell that story i mean i love sandy parker she was just not she didn't want to go down the road and yeah, i yeah. i totally respect that uh i knew pat patterson i loved pat i thought he was a wonderful man but again pat had been pat had pretty much exhausted himself 
uh, WWE had done a, you know, a, a network documentary with him. Uh, and he worked on that gorgeous book with Bertrandy Bear, accepted. So by the time we were filming, Pat's, um, you know, dementia, he had, Pat had um, the early onset Alzheimer's. Uh, we now know that Pat had cancer as well. And so there was a lot of things that were happening to Pat that out of respect for Pat, to put him on a camera and ask him questions would have been would have been embarrassing for him potentially and i just think you know would not i wanted him to get the respect that he really truly deserves so by proxy the best person to speak with was bertrandy bear and and bertrandy is incredible yeah. in in the film and and a wonderful voice and you know was like a you know in a lot of ways was like a nephew or a, even a son to pat and, you know, it was very, you know, it was very, very close uh, to him. So, I mean, it's almost like Pat is in the film in that sense because, and, and he really is, because through Susan, who knew Pat, and those were stories that had not been told before. I mean, Susan's relationship with Louis Dondero, Pat's partner, and and the years in San Francisco, uh, and then her connection to, you know, I mean, there are, I've got, you know, a five hour interview with Susan Green that's cut down to a film that's an hour and 45 minutes. And there are stories about friendships with Ric Flair and going to Japan and having, you know, Sergeant Slaughter uh, basically protect her from Yakuza in Japan, uh, who wanted, you know, wanted, uh, you know, uh, you know, white women, you know, who were wrestling over there. Um, and basically, you know, because of the huge respect amongst, you know, uh, the Japanese culture and wrestling fans, nobody wanted to mess with Sergeant Slaughter out of respect and that Susan was, you know, as, or as he called her, Susie was his girlfriend and you didn't mess with his girlfriend. So that's, you know, what she, you know, she dealt with there. And there's just so much. And, you know, and what's wonderful is we're about to world premiere at one of the largest LGBTQ uh, film festivals in the world, uh, Inside Out in Toronto, and Susan's flying here. We're going to have Susan there for the Q&A, and, you know, I just got a call from her this morning asking me how many cowboy hats and how many suits she needs to bring, because she... <laughs> She is studding. She is studding up for the ladies in Toronto, um, and uh, you know it's. Uh, I love. I love the fact that she's going to get this spotlight on her uh, from an audience that probably is not going to be all that familiar with pro wrestling. Uh, the majority of the LGBTQ community uh, plus community is 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 you know is not necessarily felt a part of this, and it was what it was that. That count, you know, is that point that actually led me to want to make a film because I was a fan growing up in Alberta and I didn't see the representation and didn't see my community represent represented on screen in an area that I had I had loved so much. So to watch this grow on many levels on an, you know, on an independent level. But now to see these legends like Susan get an opportunity to share their story and, you know, we can embrace the fact that, you know, how, you know, how do wrestling fans not know that this woman wrestled the fabulous Moolah in the WWWF in the 70s, that she beat Moolah 
uh, at one point. And I have a great story that I don't have in the film on that. Cause again, you know, her telling these stories of, you know, you know, shooting on Mula and, you know, and, uh, and, you know, forcing, you know, a forcing a legitimate submission, uh, on her and, you know, trying to injure her basically, uh, and, you know, to get revenge on Mula slapping her in the face, you know, and, um, you know, and trying to humiliate her, uh, that she was an NWA women's champion, that she was part of a, now that we, now we know a lesbian interracial female tag team in the 1970s, you know, and working in Japan with Sandy Parker and, you know, and promoters like Jim Barnett, you know, the fact that the Svengali of like, you know, territory wrestling in the 60s was an openly gay man who went to parties at Rock Hudson's house and, you know, and was, you know, basically is responsible for, you know, the, the, the boom of Australian wrestling, I mean, there's just so much history here and, you know, to be able to unearth it and then and then to find out all of these other amazing women, you know, that were that were couples, you know, you know, that, you know, um, you know, that, you know, Krista Clark and, and Ruth Boat Callie were a, were a, were a couple together, you know, you know, you know, and, and Adrian Ames and, you know, and all of these people and Lucille Dupree, you know, Chris Colt. Um, you yeah. know, who is, you know, was out his entire career pretty much in the 70s, in the 80s. And then ultimately, uh, as the AIDS crisis happened and homophobia was at its kind of and fear were at their height, that would be that would exile him from completely from the community. I mean, obviously, addiction issues and such uh, were other issues in Chris Colt's life. I mean, as you know, many pundits say he lived a rock and roll lifestyle. You know, didn't think he was going to make it to 40, made it to 50. Uh, and that was incredible because we got our first review yesterday, which is a nine out of 10 star review from Queer Guru. Congrats. And the comment, there's a comment below the review from Jack Fritcher, who was the guy who made the pornos that Chris Colt shot in the 1980s. <laughs> and when he was making triple X porn and he's like, I would have loved to have given you footage of that. And I'm thinking, I would have loved to have gotten some of that footage. I just want to own the porn tapes, not for perverse reasons, but because I think as a document of history, I want to make sure that those are protected. And, you know, and he's in a great documentary called raw uncut video and Fritcher, you know, founded drummer mag, you know, he's a San Francisco editor for drummer magazine. I mean, what a, you know, what an icon in terms of just queer history there with Fritcher um, and that he's connected with Chris Colt and, you know, recent enough, just to give everybody else another update. Uh, recently there was an estate sale um, and a lot of the wrestlers as they passed away, their, their, their belongings have been discovered in, you know, in, uh, there was a Chris Colt estate sale. And I'm proud to say that there was a wrestling fan based out of Portland and in the Northwest area that bought the entire Chris Colt estate and is going to maintain it and, and keep it and document it. So it will not get, you know, his legacy will not die. It's in the hands of one of those great people. And uh, is a friend of Vandal Drummond's, um, you know, cause you know, we hear, you know, so many, you know, Roy, the Roy Shire estate was broken up and um and even people like brian last tried to buy that so the fact that a huge icon of queer wrestling history but just queer history in general that i feel you know needs to be protected 
uh, is now going to have that that legacy is not going to go anywhere. Uh, and that the letters still maintain with his friend, uh, his years of co- the letter correspondence is maintained, uh, that Jack Fritcher has all of his stuff. Um, so, you know, it makes me feel really good that I could tell Chris's story and bring it to a larger audience, but that now because of the last few years and, you know, and I'd like to think, you know, my film eventually as well will be part of this idea of we're going to be able to protect Chris Colt's legacy and he won't be forgotten. That's amazing to hear, honestly, because I feel like Chris Colt is one of the more during that segment of the film where you're talking about the historic na- like the, the historic names that, that are part of the community. Like Chris Colt is one that one, not a lot of people nowadays really know about. And two is so dynamic when you watch him like on screen. Um, charisma. I mean, we're talking about a man that was also a roadie for Joe Cocker on the Mad Dogs and Englishman tour alongside, you know, Leon Russell. I mean, you you have to be pretty damn nuts, like out of your fucking mind to be working with Joe Cocker and Leon Russell during the height of the, you know, the coked out, you know, alcohol fueled late 60s, early 70s. <laughs> and Chris Colt is your roadie. OK, so you know, just so much rich history in, the, in, in, you know, from his wrestling relationship with Ron Dupree, his tag partner, to being out throughout the entire 70s and 80s, to becoming a porn star, to, you know, just, you know, roadie for Cocker and rock bands. I mean, everything about Chris Cole, you know, pre- as somebody said, a precursor to ECW, willing to bleed on camera. Uh, you know, just, you know, I mean, what an amazing, amazing story. I mean, these characters like Sue, Sue Tex, Susan Tex Green and, and Chris Cole are just wild people. <laughs> who out of the, like the, the historic names that are touched on in the film, who personally for you were the mo- most interesting to really delve into and, and learn more about? I think, you know, because I spent time with her, it's, obviously it's Susan Susan yeah. Tex Green, and, you know, to be able to fly out to Columbia, South Carolina, and drive up there into this junk, this dirt road, and see this rusted fence, and this, you know, the, this this grass, and you know, this this kind of, you know, this house with a big ramp up the side, and she's got cats running around because it's kind of a cat country neighborhood, and just you walk into this, you know, this home of hers that's been there for years on this large chunk of land, and she's got walls of like photos and vintage wrestling posters and different frames, and it's just everything's there, and she's pulling out. This is the cowboy hat they gave me from the pro wrestling hall of fame this is this is my photos of me doing you know in you know as a drag king performing and oh do you want to come out to the backyard and see my wrestling ring i mean she's got a training facility in her backyard with a giant beat up wrestling ring and again you walk out there and there's this giant ring with posters everywhere from her first matches with maria de leon uh, you know, it's it's incredible. I mean, it was, you know, we were just staring at everything and it was just like, you know, stories about meeting Elvis and going swimming at Elvis's house that aren't in the film. I mean, it was just endless story upon story with Susan and, you know, and, and that I get to call Susan, that I get to call Tex a friend because her friends call her Tex. 
Um, you know, I've got great stories about her having to, you know, she had to change her name legally to Susan Tex Green because it was a woman writing bad checks in Texas. God. And she almost and she was getting getting stopped by cops all the time. So she legally changed her name to Tex Green. It's 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 really it's it's quite incredible. <laughs> But there's just like so many people that are touched on in that that segment of the film that really a lot of people don't know about. And I feel like that's one of the more powerful things that the film does is to be able to bring these names back onto the lips of the people that are now engaged with the modern LGBTQ pro wrestling movement that we've seen over the last five years. Well, I think even, even in the end of the film, I mean, when we're coming back, we're documenting, you know, the current wrestlers that are working right now to be able to bring in people like you know dazzler ken dunlop you know and show an image of him to lucille dupree to you know ruth boat callie krista clark and adrian ames you know to bring them in to this you know um you know pete thornley uh, the original british kendo nagasaki and george and gorgeous george gillette um these you know, these people deserve a name. I mean, I just, you know, I mean, uh, and you can get books. I mean, Pete Thornley's got a great book out that you can order on Amazon. Uh, Ken Dunlop, Dazzler Dunlop just put out a book, uh, you know, talking about his career. I mean, it's so wonderful to hear, you know, people are that we've gotten to a place now where people are really genuinely interested in learning more about these people. And, you know, the, these, you know, these icons, you know, whether they were on the independent circuit like Scott McEwen, Sergeant Dixon. I mean, who's a guy who trained with, 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 you know, at, uh, you know, Ken Patera's wrestling school in Minneapolis and, you know, never, never wanted to go beyond, you know, be, you know, never really wanted to go to the WWE or, uh, and, you know, probably would have fit better in something like the NWA or a mid South, uh, just because of the style of work he does. But what an amazing, again, a, a knowledge and a history of the sport, uh, of the pageantry of it, uh, the work, you know, working and, and to be able to bring kind of an academic almost, uh, you know, voice to a lot of this story. You know, the idea of queer coding in pro wrestling, uh, you know, leather, you know, leather iconography and, you know, discussion around Tom of Finland and, you know, and this, you know, kind of you know, this history of, you know, of, you know, sexual identity and representation, uh, it, you know, it was, it's, you know, that, you know, they're as important as a Susan Green and, and that they, they, they just happened, they just didn't wrestle the top of the card. And, you know, and Susan was headlining Madison Square Garden in the 1970s, uh, you know, with Moolah, I mean, for the title, I mean, not a lot of women headlining, you know, cards, you know, women's cards at Madison Square Garden. It was, you were very lucky if you got one women's match on a Madison Square Garden card at all in a year, let alone, you know, you know, one that high profile for the belt and, and, and a pretty damn good match that you can see online. No, for, for sure. I mean, those kind of opportunities, like we still, you still see the arguments now about the amount of women that are included on cards and where they're placed on cards now. So to think about that in the seventies, like it's just, ah, oh, it's just, it's interesting how 
a lot of these journeys in pro wrestling parallel in a lot of ways. And, and to see that how far we have come, there's still so much, so much more to be done to, to continue the advance oh, to where it needs to be. Absolutely. I mean, you know, look at this week and we see, you know, two women of color uh, deciding that they didn't like the placement on the card in a major company and to walk away. And, you know, what, I mean, I'm sure, you know, I, I, it shouldn't be this way, but it, what courage it takes to step up, you know, in this marketplace now uh, to do that, because there was a time and place where you, if you worked for Vince McMahon, you didn't tell him off. Yeah. You didn't dare do it because now, you know, wrestlers in general, the options are back again. There's places to work where you don't have to work for Vince to make money. I mean, you've got a viable multi-billion dollar company in AEW. Are they getting the ratings that WWE? wwe is getting on tv right now well no because wwe is a tried and true brand on television for 50 years so of course they're going to get three million people but AEW is getting about a million a week on their main flagship show and they've been around three years i mean that's incredible i mean we're just establishing those numbers and you know you know, I'm going to say it and I have no problem seeing this. Fuck Jim Cornette. He knows absolutely nothing about how wrestling is consumed by the current fan base. He has no interest in learning about it. He can tell me all he wants that he's a Barack Obama fan and a Democrat. He's a racist, transphobic, sexist, homophobic man. He is out of touch with reality and he has no concept that the internet drives wrestling that dark and elevation are viable places to watch wrestling. He's not taking into account, you know, DVRs. They're not taking into account streaming. They're not, people aren't consuming wrestling the same way they do it. You know, AEW has a devoted fan base that's going to turn in every week and they're buying shit tons of merchandise. And they're in Hot Topic and they're on those shows and that there's vlogs and that these wrestlers are building their own content bases. And, and, you know, and Jim is as much a carny as these other wrestlers. But if he took his head out of his ass, he'd see that the you know wrestlers as a whole are doing that. And of course, who's the best who's who's the best self-made wrestler right now in 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 sports entertainment, but an openly gay man in Effie. I mean, Effie has built a brand and created and expanded beyond this. I mean, and he has become kind of, you know, the benchmark in which independent wrestlers in general should be looking at. Uh, And that's why it's so exciting to see a young, non-binary performer like, you know, Kid Bandit, you know, to have them, you know, explode within one year and build their fan base to the point where now they are probably one of the hottest acts on independent wrestling and that they're flying all over the world and they have just you know one and a half years in the business and they are as recognizable right now in terms of the the queer wrestling circles as an effie as a nyla rose as a sunny kiss and they've done it just by paying attention and watching their peers. Yeah. I mean, that as well as like being and like presenting themselves in that authentic light, not shying away from who they are and embracing who they are publicly and showing so many people that they interact with that it is empowering and it is more than okay 
to do that as Absolutely. well. I mean, to watch, you know, Nyla, Nyla Rose is the funniest human being on Twitter. Agreed. I mean, um, <laughs> Nyla Rose, I mean, I, listen, I, I, how, how nerdy am I that I sat and watched Nyla Rose for two and a half hours on Twitch eat stupid food combinations you know, onions and peanut butter, you know, uh, you know, tomato soup with Mars bars, just gross things. And I spent two and a half hours watching it and, and, and pressing a fart button on her, on her Twitch channel just to scare the hell out of her. I mean, she's amazing. And she's, you know, I mean, and, and done that. And you know what's been wonderful is to watch the Effies and the Nylas and the young performers like the Kid Bandits building a brand for themselves. But watching those three or four performers who are kind of leading the charge in terms of building a, a fan base for themselves out of beyond just the contemporary uh, you know, space for televised wrestling or internet wrestling or live wrestling, and to watch wrestlers from the past now come forward and become allies, but also engage with these performers and become just as important it's embedded in our community in a way. I love that Buff Bagwell has become a huge <laughs> part of defending our community, of fighting for that, of admitting his mistakes, to being honest. I mean, he is living a truth right now. I've known Mark for about four or five years um, to watch him very publicly battle his addictions, uh, his health problems, and to rebuild himself and go and, and, and to define himself again and then to be engaged with Nyla and, and Kid Bandit on a regular basis and these other performers and to watch, you know, that he's created on Twitter when it can very be very hostile an incredibly safe space to discuss and engage. And I love it. I love seeing that too. And that's part of what this film is as well, is we're bringing allies and voices together and that these people are, are you know, you know, we obviously get to decide who comes into our circle and our community. And, you, you, know, no, you know, listen, the water's fine. Everybody's welcome to take a swim, but you're going to play by our rules because they are, are our rules. It is our community. And, you know, and I, you can, there are people who identify as straight who still have intimate relations with, you know, with, you know, same, same sex relationships. And there are people who identify, you know, as asexual who are part of this community, uh, like Reza Clark, who's in the film. I mean, there's so many as we, you know, we now refer to it as kind of an alphabet mafia, but it's just as a, you know, because there's every time we're turning around, I mean, we're adding more people to it. And it's just, again, we've become a larger community and broader community. And, you know, and I think wrestling is just one microcosm of it. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I mean, we we have to we set those rules for ourselves. And it's amazing to see, like, I'm, I'm with you. It's been really fun to watch the 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 reemergence of buff bagwell into this like very positive force on on pro wrestling twitter but as at the same time like the i feel like he stands as an example of like what the history of pro wrestling really needs to do they have to confront the way that queer people have been treated historically within it and that's the only way that you can begin to move forward and really truly 
um, change the, the industry. Well, that's what I love about him is he has not said, he's like, yeah, I've said some terrible things at a period of time. I used inappropriate terms in that. And, you know, but I, I can look at it, you know, we've got footage of two, you know, an absolutely wonderful man who we're been, you know, everybody loves and they're honoring right now at AEW with a tournament, Owen Hart. I mean, there's a clip of Owen Hart encouraging television audiences to yell faggot at Rip Rogers in a wrestling ring. We all know deep down that his family is very supportive of the LGBTQIA plus community, that Dr. Martha Hart is an activist, that her that Owen's son is an attorney. And, you know, that the you know, their voices are out there and they've been, you know, are they the loudest voice uh, uh, standing with us? No, but they're certainly we know that they are there and they may be a little less quiet, but they may be a little more quiet. Um, But again, you know, there was a time and a place for this and it wasn't so much. And in, as Scott McEwen eloquently says in my film, it's not even so much in some cases, it wasn't even about homophobia. They're not even thinking about homophobia. They're thinking about heat. They're thinking about anger and getting, you know, villainy. And they're just thinking about the way that people were. Now it doesn't make it right. Doesn't make it wrong. It, it, make, it, it makes, it doesn't make it right at all. I mean, yeah. it's, it's completely wrong, but, there was of a time and a place, you know, when things change. But just like slavery isn't isn't in place anymore. Well, I yeah, well, we'd like to think it's not, but um, you know that. But slavery, as we knew it, in terms of ownership of 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 persons, uh, has you know has you know is is no longer. We don't we don't engage in those things anymore. We don't engage in that. I mean, there are those who obviously want to take us back to those places as we're seeing in the current zeitgeist politically and religiously. But, you know, you know, to not know your, you know, those those who, you know, those who don't know their history are doomed to repeat it. So I think that the idea of acknowledgement and forgiveness is important. And it's not always going to be easy. Um, obviously, there's there's a very, very, very fine line to cross there. You know, I mean, I don't think if Hitler came out today and said he was a fan of the Jews now that we would be going, oh, welcome back into the fold. You know, now you're an ally. No, no, because you killed millions of people. Or you've done bad things. You don't get to come back. No, you don't get to play in our circle. You don't get to come back into this fight because you've done harm however somebody like the daughters of reverend fred phelps now i would never forgive fred phelps but i also know that those children and grandchildren of his were indoctrinated into that by their by their parents and children are you know we know that children are moldable and that they follow what they're taught i mean it's 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 learned behavior and those children got out of it, just like, you know, Nate Phelps got away. Uh, they, they got away and, are you know, do they, you know, they're not asking for forgiveness. They're asking for understanding and they want to make this right. And I think there are wrestlers who are doing that too. And I think there are those, there are those that are capable. I think some wrestlers have said some very stupid, insensitive things at the time and not thought about it. But I know that deep down, you know, they're they're good people. I mean, obviously, some scumball like Joey Ryan 
is never coming back. You know, but when somebody like Tommy Dreamer says something completely asinine and moronic, and I know the man, and he goes out of his way to make amends for what he's said and done. Now, again, does Tommy deserve forgiveness for that? No, no. Do we deserve understanding? And is, is there is there room for growth and change? Yes, absolutely. And I think that that's how we get to, we want people to understand and change their minds. We're trying to change hearts and minds. And these wrestlers are doing that within their own space, which has not always been, which of course we know has not been an accepting space. Many, many, for most of the time. Yeah, no, that's very true. It's very true. And and hopefully we see more of that growth and, and acknowledgement of the past continue uh, from the the elders uh, of, of the pro wrestling world. You brought up Razor Clark. And I I really want to talk to you about Razor Clark because um, let's be real. So many aspects of the LGBTQ spectrum are either very well represented or or substantially res, res represented in the greater pro wrestling landscape. Um, you know, we we have a multitude of non-binary performers now. So many out, outstanding trans performers, gay, lesbian, bi, pan, all this other stuff. We, to my knowledge, Reza is the first asexual wrestler that I'm aware of. Um, I don't. I'm. I'm not. Obviously, I'm not jumping to say that she's the the first one in the history of the, yeah, of, of, of the of of the industry. But you know, I've I've known like you know, there's an asexual promoter in Mayday who runs, you know, Combat Fights Unlimited. There's an asexual uh, manager with Halston Body out in, Obviously, in the yes. Los Angeles area. But I've, and this is something that like, I, I make a point in my work is to try and find representatives for all the different communities that we have within our broader community. And, you know, I, for the longest time, I just didn't know when we were going to see our first ace performer and now like with Reza talking openly about that um we do and it, it was just a powerful moment because it, it's one it was so understated in how she talked about it as well you know it's just like you know i in in the film she talks about like being working at the the pcw shows the pride championship wrestling shows down in san antonio and like being around the community and realizing that she wasn't the only like asexual asexual person in the room yeah, I, I mean, I love that statement. And she goes, you know, it was so wonderful being around Pride Championship Wrestling and being at San Antonio Pride and saying that she was, she, she, she was, it was nice to know that she wasn't the only asexual person in the wild. Yes. And I just love the way that she just said it. You know, I knew you know, that she wasn't alone there uh, in that. And, you know, Razor was an interesting thing because um, there was a, another wrestling promotion uh, that employed many of these very talented uh, performers uh, that perf that um, promoter and um, uh, I guess we could call it a talent um, was, you know, is, was, was dishonest and was canceled for a justifiable reason. They still, of course, you know, are lurking on the edges of trying to, you know, get back in and, you know, and, and are finding a way to kind of be on the fringe, but they're not, they're not allowed, you know, they're not, they're not playing in the circle. 
um, the way that rest everybody else is. Uh, but to you know to, to think you know so when I found, when I had finished shooting before the cancellation of this other promotion and promoter Iggy Men- Iggy Madness Mendoza had reached out to me and said, "Oh, I wish you could have I could have talked to you." And and at that point we had stopped filming. And it was, you know, it was early on and the ending was going to be uh, the first Effie's Big Gay Brunch. It was going to be, you know, we were going to film there at that. And then, you know, the global pandemic happened. And then, but also that cancellation happened in terms of the speaking out movement and that promoter. I was able to go back to Iggy and go, guess what? We got to cut this guy out. And to be honest, I don't like that promoter anyway as a person. They haven't been particularly nice to me. Uh, I'm glad I had the opportunity to go to their show because it allowed me to meet and befriend Billy Dixon and AC Mack and Ashton Starr and interview them on site there. But what it did do is it allowed me to reopen the film and bring in a company that is far more fascinating to me in PCW that's been around since 2012 run by out wrestlers that none of us knew was existing until I kind of mentioned it to some people that, you know, there's a promotion. And then when we filmed, I had hired a crew to film. I was in Berlin at the time for the film festival. This was just in February, like three weeks, four weeks before the pandemic broke out in 2020. And I hired a crew to film and I knew I was going to focus on the overall promotion, interview some of these wrestlers and focus on Iggy. And then we interviewed a bunch of other people in the periphery. And some of the interviews were 15 minutes. Some of them were like two minutes. It just, you know, the, you know, the camera just went away. But what I saw in the middle of this was this amazing woman, Raisa Clark, who was so articulate. And I'm just like, oh, I need, I need an hour and a half with this woman. I need yeah. an hour and a half with this person. And so we arranged again and found it. And I went and sent a crew down to Dallas, Fort Worth. We hooked up a Zoom link, uh, set up a camera crew there. And what we got out of that was one of the most warm, engaging, articulate, open hearted performers, I think, in the film. I mean, she just brings, you know, an understanding. Uh, and, and again, you know, I mean, it's been unfortunate that she's, you know, experienced an injury and you know, hoping that she'll be able to come back sooner than later uh, to the ring because I think the world needs to see more of her. Uh, I think that the LGBTQIA plus wrestling community is not very familiar with her, but she's very familiar with them. I mean, she know, you know, you know, the, the, the flowers that she she gives to Billy Dixon in the film that he doesn't understand how much he's done and how important he is to this movement. You and I know this. But on a larger scale, I don't think Billy Dixon and I, 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 I think and I think you would agree understands how important he is. I think you gave him an opportunity to experience that importance by being placed in that number one QWI 200. But to watch him, you know, to watch her acknowledge that and to be so open about her asexuality uh, in such a matter of fact way. And, and just, you know, and, 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 you know, here's a woman of color talking about being asexual and working in Texas for a queer promotion 
run by queer promoters and wrestlers and to be so entrenched there you know that to me that's an important part of our history again that's a promotion that's been around for 10 years that none of us knew and preceded that other promotion totally and that now that they're getting their flowers and that you know people you know you know like you know like marco uh out of san francisco are, are wrestling on that show and that the tag that his tag team is going to be performing on there uh that you know that joey mayberry is going to be wrestling in the, on the san antonio pride show for them i love this all right yens thank you so much for tuning into lgbt in the ring uh, we'll get right back into the thick of things but i do want to take a pause real quick and say thank you to some amazing people that make this show as rad as it is starting off with daniel quasar the progress pride flag designed by daniel quasar is a product of progress initiative you can find out more at quasar.digital a big thank you to sarah in the safe word for the show's theme song formula 666 off the album red hot and holy you can find them on Twitter at STSW Band, and you can check out their music on both Spotify and Bandcamp at sarahinthesafeword.bandcamp.com. Um, check out independentwrestling.tv for the best in current and classic independent pro wrestling, including live events from top independent promotions worldwide. Uh, you can use our promo code LGBTRingPod or visit tinyurl.com slash IWTVLGBT and peruse their entire library uh, over there at independentwrestling.tv. Once again, promo code LGBTRingPod or go to tinyurl.com slash IWTVLGBT check out that service uh, you can follow the show on twitter at lgbt ring pod you can follow me on twitter at wonderboy otm and if you're into video games definitely check out my video game news show the mr video game super show i co-host that with uh, twitch streamers slacker kite and lady Merwin every monday at 8 p.m eastern 5 p.m pacific over on twitch.tv slash dead entertainment uh, it's your weekly roundup of gaming news, uh, and it's always a blast. So once again, check that out every Monday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, over at twitch.tv slash deadsunentertainment. Sun like the star. We'll be right back with more LGBT in the ring. And I love to see that now everybody's starting to engage, and they want to expand, and they want to they want to grow this. We want to grow this network. You know, you know, Full Queer is coming up. Uh, Hood Slam has been incredible with Dark Sheik and, you know, performers like Funny Bone and, you know, AJ Kirsch, Brittany Wonder, you know, I mean, so many. I mean, Bambina. I mean, how, you know, we are so blessed right now with the number of performers. Uh, but it's is it enough? No, it's going to be enough when it's not going to matter who's working on those shows, but that they're allowed to be themselves and be open and safe. And it's, it's going to take a collective. I mean, well, obviously I believe that we still need our shows and we play in those spaces, but we also need to be able to show that we are part of a global community of human beings uh, who just happen to be part of it. Um, I mean, welcome to the family, you know, you and I talking about, you know, Speedball Mike Bailey, one of the most vibrant and amazing indie stars and now on television, uh, coming being ambisexual. I mean, you know, in a in a relationship with a non-binary partner who they're marrying. I mean, 
how fucking cool is that? I mean, yeah. you know, anytime you see somebody that high profile be, you know, step forward and and again, they didn't really step forward. It wasn't, you know, in much like their partner Veda Scott, it was a matter of just, you know, we've we've talked about nobody's going looking for those Twitter flags and those pronouns in there. We are because we are looking to see who is part of our community. But I found out about Mike knowing that he was engaged to Veda, that Veda had been out about being non-binary, that her pronouns were they, them, and she, her. And then for Mike to post what Mike had posted, and then for me to say, do you know that Speedball's part of our community and identifies fully as part of our community in a different way, much like Razor Clark, I mean... Holy shit. Yeah. It's so special. Yeah. I mean, I feel like Speedball is is a, is a very interesting case for this as well, because like when I put the QWI out and I included Speedball on that list, so many people just were not aware. And we're just like, why is, why is Speedball Mike Bailey on this list? Like he's not the, he's not this and, and or that. And it's just like, yo, like, you don't always know like you like if you're not paying attention to these people and 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 you have the kind of recognition that we have in the community like you're not you're gonna miss these things you're gonna miss it and you know and again i'm i'm friends with speedball and it was a matter of it being put on his twitch channel and me reading about it and going oh what does that mean because I didn't know what it meant that to be a person who was only attracted to non-binary people, sexually attracted. I love that. Or romantically attracted. Uh, that's, that's, a, that's a part of our community. I mean, you know, that Mike identifies as he and they. I mean, that's, it's another aspect of our community. And the only way people are going to understand more is the more we have representation and the more representation the better exactly i mean i could also point to you know someone local to where i am right now in the northwest like you know i wrote about the uh, referee devin campbell a couple weeks ago here who works for a number of promotions out in this region who came out as omnisexual which you know that whenever people that are part of these these other aspects of the community are open about who they are and how they identify and that sort of thing. It provides, not only does it provide the representation, but it also provides an avenue for people to become educated about the different identities as well. And one of the most gratifying things about covering Devin's story was to be able to really explain what omnisexual is to people that, even queer people that I know that Mm -hmm. reached out and were just like, I don't know what this means. Can you tell me? I'm like, read the article. It's in there. And there's a, and it's just, it's, it's such an, uh, it's just such a valuable, valuable thing to have so many different people showing the true spread that we have in mm-hmm. this community. Well, I think, you know, and, and what I love about it is, is it's what good people these are that are coming out. You know, I mean, there is nobody sweeter and kinder 
you know, than pup and more puppy dogs and rainbows than Speedball Mike Bailey. <laughs> I mean, really, I mean, really, the possibly the sweetest, kindest human being, you know, I mean, I don't think, I mean, yes, he, he'll kick you in the face in the ring, but I don't even think he would step on a dandelion for fear of it might actually cry. I mean, that's how nice this fucking guy is. I mean, he's just, he really is. I mean, it's, it's wonderful. And I love Speedball. I wish, you know, at the time we could have, you know, again, by the time I knew, could have included Speedball in the, the film, in our montage, in our, on our, on our photo collage that we have in our credits. We had this wonderful photo collage that I, I was adamant I wanted to include because there were so many more performers coming out. And it was, and I still couldn't get everybody in. I mean, I only got 81 into that. And then I just kept putting more and more and saying, okay, who's in the actual film? that I can cut out of the photo montage, that we have a clip in there, a footage, and add somebody else in there. And how can I show the global scope of these countries, you know, that, you know, I mean, you know, a Spanish trans wrestler like Eros, uh, um, um, a male tra a trans man, there's not, you know, we've got Casey Johns and Eros as trans men wrestling, out wrestling, you know, and that's it right now that we know of, I mean, we're, we're not necessarily, we won't even know. Um, and how many, you know, to, to hear people like Addie Starr and Funny Bone feeling so grateful that we include them in this. Yeah. And, and somebody like Addie Starr who doesn't feel welcome to, to the community as much, even though she identifies as bisexual because she's married to a man. But yeah. What does that mean? What does that matter? I mean, you know, obviously, you know, Caitlin Diamond says, you know, the obvious idea is, is that bisexual people or, you know, those, you know, who don't, you know, identify as, you know, are attracted to everyone, anyone and everyone, um, you know, that it, it's not, it's not about being, you know, what you've got to have one guy and one girl and you've got to be polyamorous and, you know, not everybody's like that. Nothing wrong with it, but, you know, uh, but that's not all bisexuals, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's Caitlin's interviews in, in, in this film really stuck out to me because of how she discusses the topics that she does, because I think, you know, by erasure, pan erasure, like those those sort of identities and the stereotypes that are associated with them are still very uh, proliferated within the queer community, yeah. even now, even though we've done so much to try and dispel those things. And you know, I think like her talking about the presentation of Orlando Jordan and linking it back to this sort of thing where like even on screen, whenever they're trying to be empowering to Orlando by throwing that buy flag up there and having him do whatever the hell he wants to do in terms of his expression of his identity on TNA uh, television, you still have them feeding into the stereotypical idea of the bisexual person who has one of each gender which first off that's a terrible thing to look at now considering the the how the spectrum of gender really has uh really doesn't apply to just one of two things yeah but but to see that 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 was the definition that they were putting forth on screen was like this is a bisexual <laughs> Well, that you've got and then that he's coming down dressed in caution tape, which is obviously a stereotype of warning, 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 bisexual coming here. Yes. I'm going to fuck everybody that you know, and you need to watch out. 
you know, and that's really what it was, what the presentation was, right? Because then if the whole storyline was him stalking after Eric, Eric Young and trying to, you know, get into his pants. I mean, yeah. you know, again, badly done, like so many, you know, things. And again, you know, I mean, if you look back at the people that were in charge at that period of time with character development, is it that far off from what was being done in the WWE? No, because a lot of those voices were WWE voices um, that were there. Um, but again, you know, you know, and it was important, you know, and it was important for me to make sure that that was included in there because it was such, you know, was it, was it a widely known scene? No, but you know, that's something that's happened as well. I mean, I have some festivals coming up that I can't announce publicly yet uh, that are not queer festivals for this film for out in the ring and to have these straight identifying non-wrestling fans embrace this film and say, I didn't realize that you guys had the wool pulled over your eyes with the Billy and Chuck storyline and the way that it was dealt with the way that, you know, Chris Canyon, you know, was treated while still there. Um, you know, uh, and, you know, I was, I, I, and, and, you know, and there was discussion whether we needed to keep Chris Canyon's story in this, uh, because somebody had said, well, didn't dark side of the ring talk about him? And I said, yes, dark side of the ring talked about that story. And, uh, I love what they did with speaking to Luke Hawks and, you know, James Mitchell, but it's made by two white cisgender straight dudes. Yeah. And that there are no female voices in that film. And that there are no queer voices in that film to tell that story or out queer voices. That's a problem. Um, I think James Mitchell is wonderful. I would have had loved to have had an opportunity to speak with him. But I'm, I'm adamant and it will maintain that at you know maintain being that adamant that community stories need to be told when possible by members of our community and if they're not being directed by members of our community that members of the community are part of the process of creation i think of a film like the garden left behind a beautiful trans independent film directed by a latinx queer filmmaker but and written and a straight and co-written with a straight Ital identifying italian man but there's 57 trans performers who were part of that production and behind the scenes so i'm willing to give that a pass is it perfect? No, but I'm willing to give it a pass because somebody was actively trying to engage and include the community. Uh, is it my, you know, do I feel like it's my, you know, do I feel like I have the right to make a Nyla Rose film on my own? No, I would probably co-direct that story with a First Nations or trans filmmaker. Yeah. I am um, or non-binary filmmaker or somebody who identifies from those communities. I think that, you know, those are aspects of the community of different communities that need to be, you know, protected and told. And those are there, and it's not my necessarily my, 
place to tell the entire story. But I would happily be part of telling that story. I'm part of the larger community, but I do feel like as a collective on that on a project like something like that or an indigenous project or a, uh, a an African-American project that it wouldn't be my you know that we need to do our best to allow members of those communities to tell those stories. No, I mean, I think that's a very valuable perspective to have, and I think that's that's the one that needs to be more widely adopted, honestly, in, in a lot in, in a lot of not just filmmaking circles, but like media as a whole in a lot of ways um and honest in speaking to to canyons in in uh, inclusion in this project you can't tell this story without talking about chris canyon you can't yeah like it, there's no one that is more seminal i think in the minds of the current community and installs so much um power but also like this reflective sadness and and speaks to the reason why so many people are so adamant about being out and open about these things and showing that there is a community there for for all the people that are involved in this it's because of canyon's stories because of what canyon went through and and ultimately like where um he ended up you know taking his own life like that's just and listen you know i love that those friends of his loved him so much, but where was that queer voice in, yeah. in, uh, and I'm friends with Evan and Jason who make dark side of the ring. I've, you know, I, I've known Jason Eisner for years and I love the guy and I know what a wonderful, great human being he is. And, but where was the queer voices? Yeah. You know, we you were, where was the queer consultants on that? Where were, where were the gay men who were part of this? Where was, you know, where was, you know, why Canyon is important. And, you know, it, that's why it was so important for me to make sure that people like uh, Scott McEwen, who n had spoken at length when Chris was coming out, when Chris was still in the closet on things like ICQ and on chat and various chat groups and gay wrestler chat groups that were secret on, you know, on these, on these, in these various chat groups, uh, you know, that somebody like, Paul Pratt, Poyo Del Mar, you know, is able to bring a knowledge and a history and an experience to this story um, that even even in the way that Vandal Drummond, who identifies as straight, but even in the way that he spoke about the Chris Canyon story and how it affected him was different than it was presented in that other film. And I'm not saying that other film is not worthy because I do think it allowed people to understand it. But what I don't think we had was is we weren't able to, um, we didn't hear from our community about why he mattered. And I, I hope I was able to bring that full circle a little bit in this, in my little bit. I think I think you do accomplish that in the film and not just through like telling Canyon's story in, in, in the, the segment about him, but also you see it in the stories of Pero. You see it in the stories of Charlie Morgan. You see it in the, the stories of, of people that are, you know, either went through the same like levels of of 
depression and suicidal ideation that the canyon went through and came out the other end you know to be able to openly embrace who they are or someone like charlie who openly embraced who they are in the ring in a moment that still i've seen that moment dozens of times you know i've watched i've watched the film a couple of times but yeah. every time that that we go to that pro wrestling eve segment where charlie comes out and just the sheer anger and emotion that is coming through in her voice and her face in say, talking about being who she is it still gets to you it still tugs at you um and i feel like those stories obviously stand on their own as poignant stories to tell in our community but they also speak to the the canyon story as well to well, see. i think also we we forget that china was part of our community yes that is a that is another aspect of this film that i really liked was how much was talked about china it was important because china represents also uh you know ultimately we didn't include it just because of the way that um, you know, you know, we didn't include a clip. There's a there's an infamous clip of her in a storyline with uh, a, a trans friend of hers performing oral sex on Mark Henry um, and puking and vomiting. And um, and then I thought about that and it took me back to um, when Zeke from Survivor spoke about his favorite movie in uh, Disclosure being the uh, the scene in Ace Ventura Peck Detective and the puking because he'd kissed a trans person, uh, the vomiting, the the bleaching of the mouth, you know, and that that was his favorite movie as a child and to look back on that and then to think that that, you know, just, you know, three years later, we're still doing that storyline. Uh, and then at the same time, China was dealing with this whole idea of being a powerful strong muscular woman who you know didn't didn't have the what the the media presented image of what a feminine feminine whatever that even means woman is uh the, that muscles were a masculine thing that the feminization process that my editor brad webb and kudos to brad for mm assembling that in such a beautiful way because we had talked about that storyline but for brad to hear poyo's interview about china and the idea of the feminizing of china and to then take these images of you know from before she had jaw surgery uh before they um, they leaned her down before they made her get breast implants before, you know, to just to watch the physical change of her body because of what the industry was saying at the time about what women in wrestling had to be. I mean, we don't really go into, you know, a similar storyline was presented again and ultimately it fell apart. They tried to do the same thing with Nicole Bass. Yeah um you know obviously you know i mean um again there's so many stories within this and again nicole bass being a part of our community as well uh and you know again the, the transphobia that both of these women uh you know that particular clip of howard stern and again you know does howard speak that same way anymore does he regret how he behaved 
Yes. And, you know, that's that speaks to time, education and human growth. And I think that that's why when people criticize somebody like Donald Trump and they say, well, Howard Stern said it, too. One's for one's one is regretful and remorseful and has backtracked on it and has done his best to apologize and atone for that and be better. And that's what we need to expect of humans in general. But to watch him refer to China as China's hands as man hands. Yeah. And why that is such a beautiful moment is, is that a lot of people don't know that China was a classically trained pianist. Yeah. And she quickly corrects him on it too. Like their piano hands, their piano hands. I played, you know, I mean, and we don't, you know, I don't obviously go into great detail, but you know, the, the China documentary does discuss that, you know, this was a woman who was an English teacher in Japan, a very smart, educated athlete. And, and, and a classically trained pianist who spoke multiple languages and, and, and battled transphobia and addiction. And, you know, you know her, her heart never really healed from both of those relationships. You know, to have her relationship with Paul Levesque fall apart on screen, basically, and then them trying to force, you know, Vince and Vince primarily trying to force the three of them into the kind of confronting that, you know, making it a Stephanie and, and kudos, you know, I mean, not saying it was done perfectly, but kudos to Stephanie McMahon for saying, I don't want to go here. And she didn't really go there because, you know, I think people have this false perception that Stephanie and China had this intense wrestling feud. It was barely a footnote. Yeah. It was barely a footnote. Um, you know, because W, you know, Wrestling Inc. just talked about you know Stephanie's greatest feud because of course she's been in the media there, and and you know who her greatest feud was with was Chris Jericho. Yep. You know, on screen and on on that was her big on screen foil. It wasn't China. You know, there was more heat between Sable and Stephanie in her in the relationship between her father as her father's perceived lover than there ever was between. China, Stephanie, and and Triple H, in terms of the breakdown of the relationship, uh, and again, it was again, it was unfortunate to watch that happen. And then, of course, with Sean Waltman, you know, again, two people, very broken souls, who were brought together through friendships and relationships in wrestling, were a couple, and both, unfortunately, victims of addiction. And, you know, and, you know, the fact that Sean has come out the other side of it and is clean and sober and one of the sweetest human beings out there. And we hear stories about this all the time, about what a great human Sean is. Uh, and to see Joni Lauer, China, her life end where it had to, where, where it ended was unfortunate. And, you know, um, and again, you know, much like Canyon and Chris Cole, you know, I wanted to make sure that we told those stories of the tragedy, but that, you know, that there are, you know, for every China and Chris Canyon, there's a Pero who's come out the other side that there's, you know, that, you know, AC Mack very briefly says, I've thought about suicide. Yeah. You know, to talk about that. Um, there's so much in this community and so much education that needs to be done. And I think, that each artist 
and each individual finds a lens to tell this story because the community is so vast. And this, in this case, pro wrestling was something that I knew about, loved, and I was able to tell a larger story through this let this pro wrestling lens. Yeah. And it's a, a poignant story. It's one that so many people both in and out of the community need to hear and need to see. And I I am just excited that, that the project has finally come to fruition and that people are going to get the chance to see it now. Um, what do you think is going to be the takeaway for a lot for a lot of people that that watch the film like is there like a specific person that you think will will stand out to people or just like what what do you better question what do you want the takeaway to be i want people to understand um a few things about this uh as a wrestling fan i want more understanding of what these performers do it's not everybody's type of theater not everybody likes opera not everybody likes horror movies. Not everybody likes adult cinema. Not everybody likes wrestling. But what I want to get to a point of is an understanding and a respect for what all of these people do. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I mean, you know, this, this is like an omnibus album or a great, you know, a great record. I mean, Sunny, Sunny Kiss references an artist's kind of oeuvre as a record with different styles of music and performance and that. And I think that I want people to understand and become and under, you know, they don't have to love it, but I want them to understand and respect that this is a different type of theater. I don't think people speak with the same reverence or respect that they do, you know, but what difference is there other than, you know, operatic voices and a style of music between opera and wrestling in a lot of ways. I mean, it's people, it's people in costumes, you know, uh, speaking with loud voices and telling a story in a different language. And in the case of their language, it's through uh, a physical combat story. Um, it's through, you know, um, you know, the, the way they engage with the fans, uh, the way they present themselves and carry themselves to the ring. I think it's why, you know, you can take that. And so that's the first takeaway is I want the general world to just bring, a, you know, to put a not necessarily a love of wrestling, but a respect for what these people try to do and stop, you know, speaking down to people because they watch it and they like it. Second of all, I want people to understand how incredibly smart, warm, and brave that these performers are to go into a space that hasn't been accepting of them because they love it. Um, the bravery it takes for one to enter into a space that has never been welcoming, uh, the way that, you know, uh, you know, people entered the education space at a time when racism wasn't allowing people of color, uh, the way that uh, women entered certain, you know, uh, workplaces uh, at a time, you know, I think of the suff you know, suffrage movement and, you know, and, and the way that they were trying to find a, a place for themselves. And then I want them to understand what it takes to be, to be brave and fight for your place within the area that you love and you choose and want to work in. I don't need you to love and understand it. Listen, I don't need to understand what it means to be a, an electrician, but I have huge respect for anybody 
if the you know who's fought to find their place and get to a place right now i mean i you know there's still a place in those in those kind of blue collar jobs where women are you know the idea that women um the idea that women uh you know can, are still not necessarily 100% welcome in those spaces you know, uh, and, you know, or, or that men in men in dance are looked down upon in a lot of ways, you know, all men who dance must be homosexuals, uh, all men, you know, they must be, you know, they can't be this way. Um, so I want them to, I want people to put a respect upon these people for taking the risk to achieve their dreams in a space where they haven't always been welcome. And, and then I also want them to put more reverence on the lived in history of LGBTQIA plus people on a whole for living their truth. And I think that if those three things, if one of those three things comes to fruition for me out of this film, and if I make one new wrestling fan, or at least a fan of an individual in the film, or person want to understand more about the history, then I've succeeded in what I've done. No, I think that's a, a perfectly great goal, honestly. And I think that the film accomplishes that. And I know I say that as someone who is entrenched in pro wrestling, but like, yeah, like this film tells our story in, in a way. I know that, you know, in our conversations over the years, like I know that there's a lot more that was left on the cutting room floor that, that you wanted in the film. But I think that this does like tell our story uh in in the hour 40 minutes that you have to do it well i think if we i think you know it opens it, it's it this can be an entry way into understanding uh pro wrestling the queer community within pro wrestling and uh individuals as a whole struggling to find their place within a world that they want to be part of and finding that acceptance and engagement then then let this be the entry level into them taking more time to understand who they are. I mean, it's why I mention if you want to learn more about more people, go to your go to your article in the credits there. That's why I mentioned that because I couldn't include everybody. It was it would be impossible to include every performer and every promotion and everything that's happened since I locked picture. I mean, I'd be I'd be making this film forever. Yeah. And to be honest, I don't want to make one story forever. Um, you know, people have already asked me, are you going to make a sequel? No, I don't want to. This is my contribution to the discussion. And if others want to carry that mantle forward, then please do. Now, will I, am, is, is, it, is it to say that I won't come back and revisit stories within this if I find something that I think is engaging? No, it doesn't mean that I won't. But there are many other stories to be told, and in my for my personal life, there are stories um, that I want to tell through a queer lens as a member of the community uh, that maybe pe that people haven't heard of as well. Let me be the one to open that door to a point of discussion and be part of a larger chorus and just a small part of it, and let others continue that discussion forward. The more people that are discussing it, the better for, in general, the more opportunity for others to be open 
and honest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're right in that if, if you had just continued to leave production open over years, like there's no way you could have fit everything that has occurred into into what you've already were putting together and that sort of thing. What in the time span from when you did like kind of stop production like interview wise and, and and that sort of stuff to now do you wish that you could have included in the film because i remember you wrapped like interviews sometime in 2020 if i'm not mistaken i believe that the last interview we did on camera we the last major interview we did uh was with danny jordan yeah and uh we were trying to include more uh, at that point, we were trying to include more female voices, more female voices of color, more trans representation in it. I do wish that there was an opportunity to engage more non-binary performers. Mm. And I would have liked that opportunity. Um, But I do feel like there are gender fluid performers uh, like Jordan Blade, like Sunny Kiss, uh, who kind of understand the I, you know, not I'm not going to say completely understand the or live in that experience, but are very connected to being non-binary. They just choose to identify as gender fluid as opposed to, you know, the way that you know as as know not you know it, it just, again it's 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 how one individually de- decides they wish to identify um you know the difference between pansexuality and and bisexuality is is vast you know uh on the surface the way it's presented may not people may not understand the difference um but the hope is is that some people can have this discussion you know it hopefully will bring up another terminology uh another part of the community and people can take that time to understand what it means to be you know as we as you mentioned omnisexual ambisexual asexual you know the difference between bisexuality and pansexuality non-binary and gender fluid you know uh you know being transgender being a transvestite is different than being transgender um you know they're all part of a larger community um and each of them is a is a worth worthy community and worthy of our respect and understanding yeah no i i i'm right there with you and i for one like i really like the film um i can't wait for anybody that listens to this show or has uh, an interest in pro wrestling or an interest in queer culture to get a chance to to catch the film. I know the it's debuting June third at Toronto Inside Out, but like you said, there are men, there are more festivals that this. There is are more fest. There at. are more festivals to come. We're just at the very beginning uh, of of taking this film out there, uh, allowing the world to see it, and you know there's going to be a longer life for this film. I mean, it will find its home on VOD. It will find its it will hopefully find itself on a streaming platform. It will hopefully find itself in in home entertainment, uh, you know, as a Blu-ray um, or more. I mean, I think that you know, I this is just the very this is you know, we're just you know, last week was just the film locked picture. It's been just over a week. 
Yeah. How do you feel now that you have it locked and, and, and everything kind of ready, set for a premiere now, knowing that you've been working on this for five years? I, I am going to watch it once with an audience mm -hmm. um, in Toronto. Uh, I've already reserved my seat to the on the end of an aisle near the door so that if I have to run out for any sort of technical reasons or because I have to throw up um, because I'm nervous, uh, I've done that. Uh, and, and to be honest, I'm ready to move forward on to the next project. I want to share this project. I don't know how many more times I'll sit and watch the film as a whole. I mean, this is my first feature. Um, I've made short documentaries. I've sat through those short documents. It's easier to ship through a nine minute film that you make uh, than it is an hour and 45 minute film. You will most likely find me somewhere possibly having a beverage, an adult beverage um, <laughs> in the vicinity of that theater. Uh, uh, probably, you know, I'll watch it the first couple of times, you know, I'll watch it with, you know, uh, I'll watch it at Inside Out. I'll watch it at the first couple of film festivals or at film festivals in other countries. Um, but once I've, I think at some point it's just going to be like, okay, I've, 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 I've probably seen the film in various incarnations and lived with this. I've lived with this footage for nearly five years. Um, I'm, I'm pretty much done. done I'm pretty much ready to close the chapter on watching it anymore. And now I'm ready to just share it. Um, no real nerves um, with it. Uh, and, you know, kind of a sense of calm in a way that it's just kind of done. You know, it's, I'm just glad it's done. Yeah. I can, I can commiserate with that in a way, for sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm excited to see what, what comes next for you, no matter what it is, obviously. But, um, out in the ring is, is going to be something special once everybody gets the chance to, to see it. I'm excited oh, to see much. the reactions. Yeah. Well, last question for you. I have to know the bisexual lesbian clip with Eric Bischoff is one of the hardest clips to find on the internet, yet it makes it into this film. It is by far one of the most laughably ignorant things ever seen on WWE television. I have to know, how did you find this clip that I has eluded <laughs> me? How did I find this? Well, I'm going to tell you. So Caitlin Diamond brought it up in her interview. Yes. With me. I went everywhere looking for it. And let me just tell you how much I fucking love Patch's Chance. <laughs> it was Patch's Chance, uh, a, tw uh, a, a podcaster uh, and uh, wrestling fan who found that clip for me. And not only did he find that clip, he found a bloody beautiful clip of that of that line god damn it i don't know how he did it but i knew he said i think i know somebody with it and i said listen that thing i've spent three years looking for 
<clears throat> and he found it and and got it to me. And so kudos to Patches Chance. Follow Patches Chance on Twitter. Patches Chance did that much the same way that Dave Bixon's band found me the arrest record and the conviction record for Pat Patterson that not even that he didn't even tell Bertrand Bear about. That yeah. Bertrand found out after about all of that and being on the watch list. God. After the book came out. Like after in Pat's death, like when that when Bixon's band did that article. So, you know, this really was an idea of I asked people and eventually they found it. <laughs> the community coming together. Pretty much, yep. I love it. Patches is a friend of the show, uh, and you know, past guest, and obviously like Patches is a is a wizard in many ways. <laughs> Patch, Patches Patches found something that you and I look for for a living. And just kind of went nonchalantly, I think I know where to find that. And then sent me the clip. And I was like, oh! you know, so and because that because that has been so much of that stuff is being scrubbed out of those. Oh, yeah. Out of those out of the out of those history books. Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like the only thing that's really now still eluding us is that Billy and Chuck appearance on the on the Today Show. The Billy and Chuck appearance on the Today Show that nobody has seen since it initially happened, and and that is the only clip that I can't find. And and and, and if anybody finds that, you know, I mean, part of me wants to see if Howard Baum can find it, <laughs> or Rock Rims, or any of these great historian guys, because. Apparently, they give them like a gravy boat hmm. in the segment on, uh, <laughs> on the Today Show. Apparently, they give them like a fucking gravy boat. Like it's a gift for the wedding. <laughs> and I'm just like, I need to see this. I Yes, I need to see this. I need to know where that gravy boat is. Yeah, I need to. I don't know. Maybe, you know, maybe I'll get to an AEW show and I'll ask either. I'll go to Chuck Palumbo's motorcycle shop in California, or I'm going to ask uh, uh, Billy Gunn where that gravy boat or that wedding gift that they got given was. I think it was a gravy boat I heard, but it might be something else. But all I know is that on screen, they were given a wedding gift. Yes. On that segment. God. And I just need to see that. That is like holy grail of scrubbed away clips. And, you know, I mean, if we can find the, you know the uh, bisexual lesbian clip, and the and I mean I looked everywhere. I knew the oh, date yeah. of the episode. I knew the date, and it was just nowhere. And then the next one that was really hard was the was the Mark Henry China trans um, trans panic clip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So many attempts to try and scrub these things from the internet, but you can't scrub it from the minds of the people that watched it. Nope, absolutely not. I mean, uh, I think, you know, there's a lot of, you know, the pain that those clips, those clips carry for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Rye, this has been great catching up with you. I'm excited for, to, for the film to get out there. If you're in the Toronto area, June 3rd, Toronto Inside Out, this is where the film will be debuting. Uh, I, you can go I, to insideout.ca to find out go. about it. There you go. With the Q&A 
at, afterwards as well with Susan Green. I'm sure you have some other people lined up for that too. Uh, Susan Tex Green, uh, Greg Oliver from Slam Wrestling, who's in the film, uh, an ally, an expert. Uh, Jordan Marquez, the uh, promoter of Demand Lucha, uh, who is a, a Mexican wrestling historian. Uh, and uh, Stephen Blair, uh, who uh, is a former trainee of the Shawn Michaels Wrestling Academy, uh, who's based out of Toronto. So he'll be there as well. Um, and you never know, because as I told somebody, wrestlers are essentially like carnival performers or circus performers, and that you never quite know where they're going to end up. <laughs> very, very true. <laughs> you never you sometimes just show up and they're on a card and you go oh i didn't know they were here <laughs> sounds like there might be some surprises in store but either way you never know i mean all i know right now is i know for sure that tex is coming to uh to engage the audience share her history and swoon some ladies she's got her suits all uh Suits pressed, the cowboy hat's coming, and the boot's going down. Who can resist a 10-gallon hat? Uh, nothing like Tex. She's, <laughs> she's great. Like Tex. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for, for coming on the show again. No problem. Happy to do it, my friend. My thanks again to Rye for taking the time to sit down and chat with me uh, just a few weeks out of the debut of Out in the Ring uh, and at the culmination of this project for him that is honestly is going to be significant for a lot of people in and around the pro wrestling world and beyond, honestly. Um, the, this is by far the, the largest chronicle of our history in the pro wrestling industry. And it's long overdue. Long, 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 long overdue. Uh, yeah. So definitely keep an eye out for whatever the film is available for uh, everyone to watch, if it's coming to film festivals that are near you and that sort of thing, if you're interested. Uh, definitely follow the Twitter account, the Facebook account for the, for the documentary, and just keep your eyes on it, because trust me, you're going to want to see this, whatever you get a chance to. If you have any interest, if you listen to this podcast, trust me, you're going to want <laughs> to see this film at some point whenever you get the ability to do so. Um, but that is going to do it for us this week. Uh, next week, we are getting full on into our ramp for Pride Month and uh, Pride and Vibe Weekend, obviously. Um, so we're going to jump straight into some some conversations with people that are surrounding that event, as well as some of the large talk about some larger stuff with Pride Month. There's a lot of events going on, a lot in the pro wrestling world. Um, that is focused on Pride Month, uh, even down to the, the, the next The Life Of episode with AC Mack that's debuting on June 1st, kicking off Pride Month, literally the first minute of Pride Month. We're looking at the first out LGBTQ male world champion in pro wrestling history. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be a thing. I'm very excited if you can't tell. Anyway. Um, that is going to do it for us this week, though, and we will start that journey next week. Uh, hope all y'all come along for that. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a fun one. Cannot wait for June to get here. Uh, it's just, I'm just far too excited. But uh, until then, y'all stay messy, wash your hands, wear your mask, get vaccinated and boosted, if at all possible to do so. And 
Thank you, Nicole Savoy. Six, six, six.